If you're ready for freedom from the grind, then passive income from real estate investing is the best way to get you there. If you don't know where to start or what to do next, then the Rent Roll Radio Show is the best place to get you there. Join us while we discuss the best practices, strategies, and mindset you'll need and give you actionable content to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined by a special guest that I'm really excited to have on. I've been begging him to come on my show for uh, a couple years now, but he's too busy selling all of my, my flip houses to to break away and get on camera. So, uh, Leo DeSell from Pennant Real Estate, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. So for our listeners' uh, benefit, Leo is the owner of Pennant Real Estate. He is, uh, um, he was the, uh, was that the number one real estate agent in Baton Rouge last year? By, yeah, pretty much. Um, we've known each other for years. We were in a business networking group before I ever was even involved in real estate. He was the first real estate agent I'd ever worked with. And now he is a major integral part of my flipping business. So um, from the front end to where he gives me the ARVs and tells me whether or not I should buy the deal to the back end where he stages it, sells it, makes it pretty. He, uh, he definitely goes a step above the rest and, and, you know, goes early and often to do inspections and, 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 you know, really coordinate a lot. So uh, really appreciate everything you do, Leo. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, look, I love having you as a client. It's fun. I, I get those Sunday morning calls sometimes. Hey, man, I need an ARV on this right away. I say, all right. So I'm drinking my coffee and hopping on the computer and getting it done. And it, it's fun for me. I mean, when you, you're in it as long as, as I've been, which is going on 15 years now, it, you know, it's something that doesn't take me very long to do and uh, enjoy helping because I know it's going to be future business. So Awesome. Tell us a tell us a little bit about your your story. Your kind of what, what you did before real estate, how you got into real estate, and then um, outside of just being the best agent in town, you you also do some investing. So tell us a little bit about that as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, let's see. I went. I'm from New Orleans and uh, graduated from Archbishop Shaw down there on the West Bank and got recruited by Coach Saban to go and play for the LSU Tigers. So that was uh, 2002. So I was on the national championship team uh, in 2003 with Coach Saban. And then Coach Miles took over, played for him for another three years for the Tigers. Uh, and then right after that, you know, it's kind of like most college kids. Like, what am I going to do now? So I had um, a couple of years towards business, a couple of years towards kinesiology. And I'm just sitting there in the weight room, just trying to like, what's what's next? You know, I got two nine classes, so I get my degree. And uh, the head strength coach there, Coach Moffitt, he said, man, you work out a lot. Go teach people how to work out. I'm like, it's a good idea. So I uh, found this, I got a certification, had a couple of years towards Kines, found a local gym that took me on and started running my personal training business out of there. And at pretty much the same exact time, my dad was uh, buying investment properties in Baton Rouge and we lived in one of his rentals during college. And that kind of got me somewhat interested. And he told me, so they would go get your real estate license, partner up with my realtor. She can show you the ropes and y'all can, you know, decide if you want to continue that as a career path. So I said, yeah, why not? You know, so started personal training people, got my real estate license at the exact same time and did both of those for, quite a long time, about, I'd say, 10 to 11 years. 
And I quickly grew my personal training business. And I ended up, I said, within a few months, training about 50 to 60 clients a week. And at the same time, I was doing boot camps in the afternoon. And at this time, the market was not great. This was when pretty much the 07 market crash happened. And I really honestly didn't even know what was going on, to tell you the truth. I joined a big brokerage. I go there as often as I could. They were showing me a little bit, but the person that I attached with early on, which was my dad's realtor, showed me way more than, you know, what I would say the big brokerage did. And just having those hands-on training from her and being able to call her early on to get a lot of the questions that I had answered helped tremendously. So um, at the scene, I'm kind of like Superman in the bathroom. I go sitting there answering phones in the bathroom while my clients waiting on me, going back and forth, changing clothes to go show houses and just hustle. Pretty much rose with the the market, you know, from 07 when everything crashed, it, it was just a slow climb from there. Remember, uh, President Obama implemented the first time home buyer tax credit. And that was huge because the age that I was at, most of my friends were first time home buyers. So my third year in real estate, I saw 20 homes and I'm like, holy cow, I just made a hundred grand. You know, at the same time building the real estate business, I said, this is incredible. So I paid off a little bit of debt that I had. Um, and it just fueled me to do more, do better, you know, and I just kept building my database out of that gym. And it just slowly grew from there. I never looked back. Awesome. When did you when did you become a broker and start your own brokerage and break away from the bigger one? So seven years ago, um, I started with the bigger one my very first year, quickly realized I didn't like it. It was too corporate for me. Joined a um, smaller brokerage called Red Stick Realty, and she was great. That broker showed me a ton, learned a lot from her. Um, and I was with her for about six, seven years, and she was pushing it for me to become the broker whenever she would retire, almost even put me in the will to take over the company. But I declined because I told her, I said, look, there's another company I want to join, learn the ropes from them, see how they do business. Because ultimately, my end goal was to have my own brokerage. Um, you know, I started to learn that I truly had the heart of a teacher in respects to personal training and wanting to teach realtors how to do what, what I did. And it's a passion of mine to help others and to see others succeed. And in doing that, it just the gratification I get is incredible. Um, I opened up Pinner Real Estate seven years ago. We currently have about 40 realtors now underneath us, underneath me. Um, each one that I take on is someone that I either knew, did a deal with, or someone referred. I'm not out there recruiting heavily. So it got to a point, I'd say about three or four years into where realtors started calling me instead of me having to call them. So I wanted to become that magnet instead of calling, hey, come to Pennant. Come on, let's get coffee. Come to Pennant. I wanted them to call me because I wanted what we had to be something special. You know, so it's working. I mean, I'm even, it's, it's a formal interview process and even turn people down if I don't think they're going to be a good fit. Um, I'm like a lot of others, you know, they just, it's too easy to get licensed. I think that's a problem uh, because they are not, there's, there's so many of us now, especially after this huge rush of, you know, great market that we've had in the last couple of years. Everybody wants to be a realtor. Everybody knows a realtor. So it's, it's just too easy to get licensed and it's too easy to maintain. And I, I just think that better training needs to happen early on. It needs to be a tougher thing to become because 
man, last I looked, it was about close to 2 million realtors in the U.S. So Florida having the most and then California and then Texas. So it's, you know, I think with the cool off of the market that we're seeing right now, and it has to cool because it was crazy right out these last couple of years. So I think this is a welcoming uh, cooling factor that we're having. I think with this, we'll see some of these realtors drop off, the ones that aren't doing much basically. So, cause it's, I mean, it's a tough gig. It's hundred percent commission. If you don't kill and bring home food, you don't eat. So it's a, you know, it's tough. And most people don't realize that within the first year, there's an 87% quit rate for realtors, mostly on Facebook or social media, what, you know, how great others are doing and they think they're making a ton of money, but you know, it's not like that. It's for some, it is, you know, I tell a lot of agents when they first, when they're thinking about getting in that, you know, 5% sell 95% of the real estate. So how can you get to that top 5%? So it's, it's tough. You know, one, one third of us sell nothing. Right. The other third sell less than a million. And then the final third pretty much sell the rest. So I try to have these hard conversations with people that are thinking about getting in the business. Like, are you sure you want to do this? So it's, um, but the ones that do, I mean, it's a great, it's a really great thing to, to be a part of in a, a way you can make a great income. Yeah. That, so that story makes, it brings a couple of thoughts to mind. So one is, is how similar the, and, and just to your credit and to all of the other hardcore realtors out there credit. I never became a realtor because I was terrified of those statistics. I was terrified of that, that, um, commission only, you know, that's a scary place to, to live. Um, I did it with insurance out of college and it's like, if you don't, if you don't hunt, you don't eat. Um, there's no such thing as, as a steady paycheck coming in, you know, and that is, uh, that is unnerving. So kudos to everybody who's done that. And then with, with the insurance business, it was the same kind of stats, right? Like 90% of the people fail out like almost immediately. And, and people still come up to me like, should I be a realtor or should I be an insurance agent? And I'm like, well, y- you should be, if you're going to be good at it, you shouldn't be, if you're not going to be good at yeah, it, you, know? right. you take a lot of people, um, you take a lot of it, like if you were going to suck at this corporate job or if you were going to suck at this, you're probably going to suck at that too. It's the same, it's the same like yeah. discipline and driving forces, you know what I mean? That make you right, successful right. across, you know, any different industry. Um, and, and an, another thing to your credit is, is being an athlete. I've always loved hiring, um, athletes because there's just this intrinsic motivation, this, this understanding about that, like your performance is really a reflection of the training you do when nobody's looking, you know, and going to practice and, and hitting those sprints in the morning and all of that work that's not in front of everybody. Um, I think that's lost a lot of times in today's workplace, but athletes truly understand that like your performance at the game is really just a reflection of all the hours you put in when no one was looking. That's um, exactly right. Tell us a little bit about your, your investing history. So as I said before, my dad was not a huge investor. He lived in New Orleans, but he loved buying properties near the campus near LSU. Um, And he got in, he got in before Hurricane Katrina. So that was huge because if, you know, you're from this area when Katrina hit New Orleans, pretty much half of New Orleans moved up to Baton Rouge. So the market went crazy in Baton Rouge and everybody was doubling their prices on their homes. So he bought. He had a lot of residential single-family homes around the Baton Rouge area, and he sold probably two-thirds of his inventory and doubled his money within a week. So it's quite crazy when that happened. I know it's just natural disasters, events like that. Uh, very unfortunate, but of course, you know, there's always you know light at the end of that tunnel for for others. So 
um, that kind of got me interested in what he did and what he was doing. And so I picked his brain a lot about it. I, I did believe that buying near campus is, is a good thing, especially for rentals, because they stay rented. And the values always go up. LSU, you know, I don't think it's going away for, you know, ever. Um, so as soon as I graduated, uh, it's a funny story. Around 07, like the market pretty much was starting to tank. Well, I went to Chase Bank. I said, hey, I want to buy my first rental property. And they go, okay, you know, let me check your credit score. This. I said, look, I don't have one. I'm fresh out of college. I, you know, I never haven't worked anywhere. I'm a personal trainer. Um, running my own business out of there, not a W two employee, just ten ten ninety nine, and um, they go, okay, well, not a problem. You know, what do you want to buy? And I, you know, showing them, and I said, it's a hundred thousand dollar rental property, uh, just north of campus. And he goes, okay. He said, just come, come to the table with five thousand. I got to bring this five percent down. And I said, okay. I said, well, look, I don't have five thousand dollars. I said, <laughs> you know, I got a credit card. They go, okay, yeah. See if you can get a Visa credit card check. Bring that to closing. It'll be a little bit more with closing calls. So I'll tell you the final numbers. It ended up being like 8000 I had to bring to the table. On a Visa credit card check is how I bought this property. And that included the down payment and closing costs. So that was old school with no doc loan that allowed that kind. And all they needed was my uh, college degree. That's how they approved me. <laughs> it was incredible. So I said, no, you know, years later, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, no wonder the market crashed. You know, look what they were doing. They were giving these loans away to anybody with a heartbeat. And it just blew my mind. So that's how I bought my first rental property. And uh, $100,000 property, my uh, monthly note was around six, seven hundred. Interest rate was like six or seven percent at that time, uh, which was good at the time. And um, monthly income on it, rental, I think I was making a thousand bucks. So I was averaging three to four hundred on uh, profit for that property, which I thought was fine and kind of the number I stuck to. And after that, they tightened up big time on on, on how to get a mortgage. Basically, all the rules changed because of what they were doing before. So a couple of years go by, I was making great income at the gym and selling houses. And you know, being a, a 1099 uh, self-employed person, you need two good years of income, according to the banks. So after two years of having a solid income, they approved me for a loan. I bought two more. Um, I had to put the 20% down as a typical investment loan. And so I ended up with three right away. But it was, uh, you know, I, was, I found myself buying these older homes and I was chasing people down trying to collect the rent for. And I was not handy at the time. Uh, fresh out of college, all I knew I had to do was play football, work out, and sell houses. So, you know, these repairs were coming up and... I just, it was eating up the income when AC went down. I mean, that's three, four thousand dollars. It was taken away of profit for, you know, quite a few months. And I just, you know, I was like, I got, I got to switch. You know, I'm not that type of investor of buying property, older properties that needed a lot of repairs consistently. And I was, you know, chasing down waitresses at Buffalo Wild Wings that owed rent. Like, <laughs> where's the rent? And so I said, I don't have time for that. You know, basically, I, you know, I got a goal. I, I want this to be a very side thing. And I know it's a long-term investment, but so I switched my strategy around. And I was reading a ton of books, a lot of Robert Kiyosaki and uh, Dave Ramsey. And I was kind of riding the middle line between both theories on that um, type of investment. You know, Dave Ramsey's a big cash just came God. Robert Kiyosaki's a complete opposite. So, I, you know, I, was all, I found myself to be conservative in a lot of aspects. I went, just kind of rode the middle between the two. And... I switched the DSLD, these, these big spec builders around Baton Rouge started building properties not far from campus. And average price for those were around 220000 And so I, at the time, I had five 
$100,000 properties. I sold them all pretty much within a few months time frame. I did a 1031 and rolled them all into these brand new homes that I wouldn't have to worry about repairs for a while. That was making double the rent, averaging $2,000 in rent. And the, the quality of the tenants, much better. You know, everyone pays on time um, early, if not, and it, it's no repairs with the new home warranty act in Louisiana. It warranties the home for up to five years. So there were so many pluses to this model that attracted me that I just went all in, sold them all 1031, bought three of the larger homes, or I'm sorry, the $200,000 brand new homes. And I really haven't looked back from that model that I'd like to do. Um, so now I have five of those, uh, two more under contract, and the values have gone has skyrocketed. So I bought five of those around two twenty five, and now they're they're all pushing three three twenty five within four or five years. And those, um, those hundred thousand dollar houses you had on West Chimes are still worth a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yes, so <laughs> I bought them for that, and you're right. I sold them for exactly that, and I probably broke even after a lot of headaches. Um, yeah. but better than a loss, I like to say. And I was able to use that money that I started to put the 20% down. You know, it kind of was like a savings for me, a savings uh, checking account, I should say, where, uh, you know, saving, 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 rolled it all over tax-free into uh, these larger ones. And so now they're each profiting on top of my note, average $1,000 a piece. So I got five of them making $1,000 each on top of everything, plus the equity is consistently rising with these homes. So my end game for these is once they get to be about 10 years old is when I want to start selling them because I believe that's when things start to break down on these homes from the AC, you know, the, the more expensive mechanical items. And especially before the roofs get too old and you got to change them, especially with all the new insurance stuff that's going on and how strict they're becoming. So I want to do another 1031 and roll them into, I would say, $300,000 purchases or three fifty. I would say, rentals because everything has gone up. You know, the two hundred dollars then is now three hundred dollars now. But I want to get the brand new ones again and that are able to charge $2,800 at rent. Nice. So at what price point do you think it, it becomes... Um it becomes like flip-flopped for making sense, right? Like you can't just keep exchanging up, right? A $500,000 house is not going to cash flow. I mean, or, or, or maybe it could. You, We've had this discussion plenty of times. And I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love your strategy. Um, I didn't have, I wasn't making, when you started putting 20% down on on two and $300,000 houses, I, 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 I didn't have the money to do it. I mean, I did what I did because, you know, I didn't have anything to start with. So that's why I started in the lower income areas. But I love that strategy. But at some point you're going to top out, right? My, one of my concerns is, you know, if you can pay $3,000 a month in rent, like, why aren't you buying a house? And at some point, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like, like nobody's paying $5,000 a month in rent. So like, what's your, what is your price to rent ratio that you feel comfortable with? And is it evolving over time? So with everything that happened with COVID, everything has gone up. Inflation, rents, cost to buy a home. So the two new ones that I currently have under contract are about three fifteen, both of them. But the rent I'm getting now on an older home that's pretty much the same, not older, I would say four years old. I'm up to twenty eight hundred now in rent that three college girls are paying. So they're dividing that rent up by three. The parents are like, okay, that's perfectly fine. So because they're comparing to what they would pay 
the cop for a college dorm, which is almost a thousand dollars for one bedroom right now around LSU. And that's if it's furnished or not. So I'm keeping a close eye on what LSU is doing and comparing it to what they can get living in a single family detached home, not having to share showers and all that like a dorm room would. So parents are very high standards for their children right now. Um, and they really like these brand new, yeah. you know, granite counter top 12 foot ceiling homes. Uh, that are detached because it's it's more of a safety thing. They have a garage they can pull into, park, go inside. Um, and COVID too, like that was something that pushed them really hard into the detached single family homes because they didn't want their kids getting sick and being around hundreds of other people in the dorm. Um, so there's a lot of pluses that happen. Plus if they have a pet, you know, you got a yard sure. compared to these apartment complexes that might have a, a little pet area that they can go play in and they have a yard. So they're they're paying premiums for the things that I just mentioned in regard to these single family detached homes. So these builders can't build them fast enough. I mean, there's a solid demand for these homes. Um, everything around campus is, is old, and yeah. there are apartment complexes. So they're they're willing to drive a few few miles away from campus to where these builders are building these homes now. Um, I guess to answer your question, that three fifteen range. Um, Depends on the interest rate too. So with where they are now around 5%. And whenever you buy a rental, it's going to be more. It's usually tack on a whole nother percent on top of that. So around 6% for an investment property. If I'm making seven, 800 plus, I'm happy on these properties because I know they're going to appreciate. Our inventory is way too low for single family detached homes around campus um, and in general, but especially around campus. So I really feel that getting into these neighborhoods early on because I know what they do. They increase the prices as they sell out in the different phases. So you, you get an immediate bump in equity within the first, I would say, year. Because usually it takes about a year to sell at phase one and then start phase two. And what they do is just keep bumping up the prices as, the, as they see the demand. And I know a lot that's coming around this area. Baton Rouge is still very underdeveloped. So I have a strong feeling that the equity in these homes are going to continue to rise a lot. Uh, so I think that as long as you're making 700 plus on top of the mortgage, I think that's a huge benefit. And one other thing I didn't mention, a big benefit about going new is the insurance on these homes. Whenever you quote out insurance on an older home with an older roof that, it, you know, electrical is the original, you may have asbestos siding, uh, it's, it goes through the roof. And especially with the past couple hurricanes and years we've had, it, everything has doubled. And so the insurance on a brand new home is incredible. And one other thing, they, the builders lift up the the, um, the land that they're not lifted up, but they, they add more dirt to the land that they're about to build a neighborhood on. And basically, they'll buy cheap dirt in a flood zone and bring in a ton of dirt, lift it up, and you, they call Loma. So you loam it out of the flood zone now. So, so flood, flood insurance is not required. And so that's a huge plus. So none of my homes have ever flooded. And, and flooding is a big problem we deal with around town. Uh, so there's so many benefits, cheaper insurance, flood insurance isn't required, even though I still highly recommend and have them on all my property. Uh, but it's a lot cheaper, maybe 600 bucks for the year to get flood insurance if you're in zone X around here. Um, so I don't know. I mean, everything just made sense to me in doing this. It gives me more time to focus on what I really love to do, which is serve clients and, and uh, hire good agents and train them to become great at what they do. So it's a, it's a little lazier form, slower form, but Overall, I think it works fantastic. 
I love it. I love it. I do. I want to rewind a minute because uh, I I meant to ask this question earlier and and this is not a real estate investing question. It's more of a sales trainer teacher question because I've been Mm -hmm. in, you know, sales management for a long time. And one of the, one of the kind of the, the concepts that I have a hard time grasping is like, you know, when you look at, at top performing sales folks like you and, and and myself, a lot of the, a lot of that is, is wrapped around like charisma or something that can't really be bottled and, and reproduced. Do you find you have like trouble sometimes coaching people or, or training people that are just not, they're just not as charismatic as you are? And you're like, and how do you overcome that as a, as a sales training? So they put me through before I started volunteering and um, became a board of director at, at our, our board of realtors here in Baton Rouge. They, they put me through, uh, it was four different weekends, a weekend long of training. And it's training how to become a better leader. And the first weekend, uh, this great teacher, Amy Fennell, she taught, or uh, she organized everything and hired someone who was a professional teaching emergenetics. Have you heard of that? Mm. It, it's a it's a personality assessment. It's kind of like the disc profile, but it's yeah. it's on a, a much higher level. And we spent a whole weekend on this, basically learning about ourselves, and then learning about others and the major personality traits that are out there. So they say one percent have a certain. It's a little bit of the four quadrants. Only one percent of people can interact with the four main personality types out there and do it well. So if you're having a conversation with, with, let's say, an engineer, you you shift gears and you talk like an engineer, you speak their language. If you, if you have a conversation with someone who is, you know, just real bubbly, the light of the party that, you know, talks, everybody knows everybody, you kind of switch gears and you know how to speak their language. So it's being able to, to, to talk to the introvert, the extrovert, just, speak all their languages because people are comfortable with people like them. That's just how it is. You know, so if you put an engineer and someone who is the light of the party in the same room or, you know, they don't have to be an engineer, but a more the introvert, they're just not going to quit. So 1% of people test to be able to speak all four languages quite well. And, you know, there was a big group of about 20 of us. And I was the one out of the, out of the 20 who was in that 1% based on all the questions. It was like a hundred different questions that you take this test to for emergenetics. Um, so it was interesting. I wasn't surprised because of when I got out into the workforce and I was a personal trainer, I was training so many different kinds of people and I was able to click with them very well. There was another trainer at, at the gym who was way up here with his knowledge and personal training. And I was brand new at it, didn't know much, but he wasn't training anybody. Nobody wanted to work with them because he couldn't speak their language and mesh with them and click with them and, you know, get on that level of really what they want and what their goals and needs are. Um, so I learned in the first couple of years of training people that you know, I'm pretty good at this. And I think I could be good at sales as well in real estate and, you know, sit down with someone and really figure out what they want and need and, and get them to meet their goal. So, uh, you know, I love doing it too. So it made me, it made me feel really good just helping everybody get to their goals that they want. Um, so that weekend was was pretty special and I'm glad I did it because it taught, it taught me a lot about myself and how the other personality traits are. Um, and it's funny, just some people can't do it, you know, and it's just a, 
it's something I think you're born with. It's really hard to learn. Um, but everybody's meant to do different things too. You know, there's engineers meant to build bridges. You know, the person who's really good with computer stuff is meant to do that. Someone who's meant to be out there helping people talk and coaching, mentoring, they're meant to do that. So, I mean, there's no right or wrong. There's nothing better about any one of those. Uh, it's just who you are and you got to figure out who you are and what you want to do and how you can help people. And I think that's the goal. Absolutely. Awesome. So switching gears again, uh, let's talk about how you, uh, from a realtor's perspective, um, how you like or, or, or perceive or interacting with investors differently than, you know, a typical retail buyer. So historically, uh, I don't think realtors really like working with investors a whole lot, right? We want to put in a, a thousand lowball offers and so you're doing paperwork all day and like 99% of them aren't getting accepted. Right. But, um, you know, you put up with that crap for me for a long time until it finally started to pay off pretty big with all the houses we're selling. So shine a little light on on your experience of working with investor versus and, and then kind of walk through like what you do and how we work together and, and kind of what you're what your day-to-day looks like. So when we get on the phone and talk about a deal, I, I speak your language. So I know what you want. I know what you want to hear. I know what you need to hear to make the deal work. And it's it's very much, it's more of a commercial type deal, I would say. So it's all about the numbers. And and you're, you have a goal and I'm going to help you hit that goal. So you need that 30% ARV. And so until we find that, I don't even bring it to you. But if I'm dealing with a per- brand new first time home buyer, you know, I'm going to have to take their hand and walk them through the entire process. But we have the systems in place to help walk them through that process. Um, it's, I think it relates a lot to the emergenetics example of speaking the person's language and, and getting them to their goal as quickly as possible. And you know, as best as possible. The needs you have, you just, you got to meet and hit and get them. And it, it's more of a business transaction compared mm-hmm. to a um, personal, you know, help them feelings, make them comfortable type situation. So a lot of realtors, when they decide. I will say you, know, you often have to keep me from jumping off a bridge when uh, closings yeah. get pushed. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say about the Matthew McConaughey kicks in? All right, yeah, yeah, all right. yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, that. And also if you're doing too much, because I know how you are, you know, you, there's always a deal. we got to get it. We can't lose on this deal. And it's like, well, let's slow down. Let's look at the big picture here. Let's see where we are with everything that we have and then make the best educated decision on there and not just so focus on losing a deal, you know, because there's always going to be a, be a deal out there. Um, and I'll tell buyers that too when we're shopping around, like, look, you know, the market has slowed down some, but it's still fantastic. So if, um, you know, now, they feel when like you, they're... When you, when you okay. say the market has slowed down, I mean, is it, I know it's it's softened, but has it really yes. slowed down from like a realist realtor transaction perspective? Because now there's more inventory. So like before it was almost to a spot where there was so little inventory that that there wasn't a lot of transactions, right? Because there wasn't any houses for the buyers to buy. It was insane. It it really was. If if you can get a listing that that was the, you know, the the uh, the cold that oh, on that side of the rainbow. Like if you can get a listing, that's where it was at. So I was 
very happy that we formed the relationship that we have because we were bringing listings to market and we were selling them very fast. Um, it was very difficult to get anybody to sell because, you know, a couple of years ago, they locked in at a 2.25 interest rate. So why would we sell? Plus, where are we going to go? So I kept hearing that over and over and over from people. And it, I mean, it, you can't blame them. They're locked in at 2.25 for 30 years and they have nowhere to go. So why would I sell? So for a long time, we were only getting, um, you know, like this death, divorces, like that was really the only reason people were selling. Uh, or, you know, we were getting investors who were flipping homes and coming to market. And it, it was just nuts. I mean, I had a spreadsheet. When I would list a property, my spreadsheet was ready to go. And that spreadsheet would was, we would input all the different offers that were coming in. And then that way we could send them to our clients. I'm like, look, this is what we got. You know, we got 15 offers on the table. Here's the difference between all, you know, this might net you the most, but this one doesn't have an FHA loan. So I, I wouldn't do that. You know, so it's just more risk. So it's kind of like you get to pick and choose based on um, everything. And so it, it softened and it needed to soften. So I say slow just because, yeah, compared to what it was, it's absolutely insane. But it's still fantastic. I mean, we're still in a very much a seller's market where, you know, I may not get you 10 offers on day one, but I'll get you one within 10 days type thing, which is still incredible. Because before, I mean, it was taking average 30 plus days on market to to sell a home overall. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's still an excellent time to sell. The interest rates are pretty much what they were in 2019. And, and people just forget, you know, they, they have amnesia. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but... It's that sticker shop going from 2.25 to 5. And 5 is pretty much what it was a few years ago before COVID. So it's, it, it, we're kind of back to normal with that. But it's just that sticker shock and people need to, you know, if they need to move, it's hard for them to let go of that 2.25 rate. Yeah. So just from from my perspective, um, you know, what it's like to work with it. Because a lot of people ask me, like, well, why aren't you a real estate? And I, I made a... a a reel about this the other day you know, yeah why why i'm not a real estate agent and and you know i encourage if you want to be a real like it's a great career if you if you want to go sell real estate but but i always say like don't don't go get a real estate license just because you want to save some money on selling your house because it's, it's it's like managing properties or doing the work yourself it's just going to bog you down like you want to be right. you want to be a ceo and and like if you, you do a ton of stuff. Like I could, if I, if I wouldn't get my real estate license and sold my own houses, I mean, probably I wouldn't do as good of a job. Right. Because I'm not, that's not like my main function. So I would, I would do the job like poorer than you. It would take me longer to sell them. Um, I would get irritated all the time. And I mean, there would be, there's a ton of cost savings there. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like I would, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know the math of how much you make, but I mean, it's gotta be in the high, pretty significant. I mean, it's very much, a person's, you know, normal salary, which you would make off of selling all these houses in a year. And, and so it's like, well, why don't you go get it yourself? But like the amount of time you save me, um, you know, when I get a house it, and it even, you know, most of the houses I buy, um, you've sent me a handful of houses that I bought, but most of the houses I buy, like you don't even get paid on that transaction. Right? I buy them from a wholesaler, but I still call you, I mean, 20, 20 times a week for give me the ARV of this. I used to get them off of Zillow and, 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 um, you know, some prop stream and some of the other apps, but like those have become less and less reliable. And I think some of them have like really stopped providing real time data. But like when I send that address to you, I know 
you're you're looking at true comps, you're weeding out the outliers and you're giving me like a comprehensive market analysis that is a reliable expectation of what we can sell it for. And so that is a tremendous amount of time savings on the re- on the research perspective, right? And then yes. once once we get the house, you you know, you go walk the house w- w- with my contractor before we like like when we gut it or before we even gut it and say, Hey, we're going to, you, you, you plan design. Hey, remove this wall. Hey, we want the kitchen to look like this. We want to paint everything this color. You know what I mean? You, you, you go through that design phase with me. You, you, you pick out all of the fixtures. Um, and then once, once my guys have done majority of the work you do, usually at least one or two walkthroughs where you have blue tape and, Hey, you missed a spot of paint here. Hey, this uh, fascia is a little rotted needs to be, I mean, to the point where I don't even have to go to the properties anymore. Cause you're, you're there walking them, labeling them, inspecting them. You coordinate the, um, the pre-sale inspection. Yeah, so that's we've right. had, you know, we've had a couple sales fall out a contract because we didn't catch things beforehand. And so um, now, you know, you have a, a, a full inspection report drawn up. You coordinate that. You coordinate the lawn maintenance. You coordinate the photographer. You have the, the house staged. You list it. Um, that is that is a tremendous amount of work and time savings for the investor. Um, whereas I'm very, very confident that if I spent all my time doing all that stuff I just listed, I would have half as much time to find new deals. Um, Agreed. You know, as an investor, you know, you should really spend all of your time finding deals and finding money and pretty much outsource everything else. Um, So and and that's been that has been my my focus um, is to how can I remove everything from my plate except for sourcing money and sourcing deals? Um, and then you've been one of the biggest members of that team, um, to make, you know, what are we doing? 20 houses this year. Yeah. I think we've, we've already sold six. That's the goal. We've already sold six and we have 11 more in the works. So, I mean, it's very realistic. We'll at least get, you know, three more. So yeah, three um, are pending and we're working on a bunch more right now. Just trying to get through some of the permitting and things that come up throughout the process. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the, um, but man, it, it's, it's crucial to stay in your lane. And I think that's for any industry, you know, I'm not trying to be the, the closing attorney or the insurance person. You know, I have good people that on my power team is what I call it. That whenever I have questions, I know who to call or who to send the business to. Um, if there's a certain type of buyer, you know, I know who to send them to as far as the handful of lenders that I like to use. So staying in your lane is crucial. Um, there's a really good book that I, I'm almost done with called uh, Who, Not How. So it's finding basically who that to hire. It's um, Dan Sullivan. Dan Sullivan. I don't know why. I can't Dan Sullivan. So I Who, just... Not How. And it's uh, it's incredible. It's eye-opening. He gives a ton of good examples throughout the book about uh, stories that really stress the importance of finding the right people to do what you can probably do, but shouldn't be doing. You know, I, I'm not going to hang Christmas lights on, on my roof in the middle of, you know, right when it's starting to get cold and I'm just not doing it. So I'm going to hire somebody to do that. I don't want to fall off the roof and bust my head because my family needs me. Well, and a lot of other people we, are we talk, 
this comes up with you know my my dad is old school right and then and in yeah. an old school world you know a man cuts his own lawn to you know what i mean yeah and and so he just looks at me like what the hell is wrong with you 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 lazy millennial you don't want to cut your own lawn i'm like dude look at how much i'm i'm i make an hour and then look at how much an hour i can pay somebody to do it, it makes zero sense for me to cut my own lawn right <laughs> you know what i mean that's right it's true and i mean it it takes to be excellent at what you do. It takes a long time. And I mean, once you, you know, I tell, I tell a new realtor, I said, look, once you get about five notches on your belt, five sales, you kind of get it. But until you get a thousand deals sold, you're going to really understand it. The, the deal can deviate in so many Do you know, so how, many many houses, do you know how many houses you've sold? Oh, I knew that question was coming when I said it. I don't. Uh, how, it's how a bunch of it. Dude, I would have like a, I would have it written on my wall. I would update it every every time I sold a house. I need to do it. So I'm very good at, at yearly tracking and to hit my goal. But looking back at the total big picture of what I've done, I just don't have it yet. I'll, I'll look and text and text you. Um, and a lot of deals weren't even put on MLS. Some of these new construction ones aren't even listed. Um, so, but it, it's it's quite a lot. I mean, I've been averaging sixty home sales a year, uh, so a little over one a week for. Fifteen, so at least I would say 10, 10 years. The past ten years, um, so it, it's it's been good. I mean, ever since, like I said, Obama in my third year implemented that first time homebuyer tax credit to try to stimulate the, the, the housing market. You know, I sold twenty, and I just from there I never looked back because you know I knew I was good at it. I loved to do it, and it was something that okay, how can I? how can I make this better? Like how, and so I hired an admin to help out, to take care of all the paperwork. And now I have an admin and a marketer. And now I have 30, 40 other realtors that are part of the real estate team that, you know, they're all self-employed and selling on their own, but I'm the one coach and helping mentor and taking the calls to help them through the deal. But, you know, and I teach them to you know, get that power team, get that incredible inspector, get that great title company that you're going to use, get a handful of lenders that can help every depending on the type of loan and situation they're in. And that way, when they come aboard, you know exactly who to send them to that's on your team to take care of their role. And then as soon as they're done and they're pre-approved, then, okay, let's go find a house. we go find a house. Okay, let's get the inspector. Then I highly recommend to get that home inspected. Okay, let's call this insurance person. They're excellent. Okay, are you good with closing with this title company? Because I know they're going to do a great job on the research on the title and not keep us there for three hours and telling us stories. You know, let's let's get this property sold and be efficient about the process. And okay, if you need help with state, you know, what colors to pick, my wife is excellent at that. So she can help you design the home after if you need it. So she's the one that helps us with a lot of your your homes when it comes to colors and the current trends, because things are changing all the time. Yeah. So I was I was joking the other day that your wife is quicker to spend my money than my wife is. She'll come in. Yeah, knock out this wall. Let's put some gold fixtures right here. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. She she's good at finding the deals and telling you where to go. Cause I think remember you were looking for mirrors in the bathroom and she's like hobby lobby, and sure enough, they had a stack of them and you looked everywhere. Yeah. Um and I mean I swear they know her by name in some of these stores now. <laughs> so but it um I, She's good. You know, she's just, some people have that eye and some don't. She's not, a, um, a, and she's frugal about it too. She'll shop and find the deals and know exactly where to go. But I mean, she's able to spit out colors that we need quickly. So I'll send her the initial pictures sometimes of the homes that you're looking at and you're okay, what color? And I was like, oh, 
not that that's what color, so I'll send it to her and she'll text me back. So I'm kind of the middleman between y'all half the time when it comes to the design. But we started bringing her recently to one of the properties to get a feel. So now that our, our kids, we have three young children, our, our youngest um, just turned five. And so she is, you know, about to go to school more often. So she'll have more time, I think, to assist on a lot of these projects and actually be there in person instead of FaceTime. Um, but, you know, again, she's part of my team. And yeah. a lot of times, like when we sold your personal homes uh, off of Brightside, you know, she was the one that would come in before and look at it and say, okay, we need to bring, she'll make a checklist of items for staging to bring in. And so we have a storage room that she'll send me or we'll send somebody to to go get and stage these homes. And, it, you know, that kind of stuff really does help um, to have her on our team to get the job done. So, you know, that's something I, I usually send in as part of my listing process. Like, okay, I'm looking for the functional stuff that I see that the home inspector is going to notice. I'll go in and make y'all a list of that. Then, okay, she's going to make the house pretty. She's going to come in next and give y'all a checklist and do everything she says. And I mean, sure enough, it just, it's been, it's been working on clockwork with the process we've created. Awesome. Well, I know you're running short on time, so I'm going to hop to our radio round real quick. I just got three quick questions okay. for you. First one is, yep. what's your favorite book? So I, I really am leaning heavily on who, not how right now. And so I, I think that someone just recommended it to me. I got another little business project going and um, they mentioned it to me and I've just, I've been hooked on it and it, it's really opened up my eyes to a lot of things where we try to do too much and not stay in our lane. And it's helping me focus on what I'm really good at and finding the right people to do the other things. Absolutely. So what's your favorite quote? So it's funny. So we've had these mugs made, these coffee mugs, and it's nice and big and fit. And uh, it's right here. So you did not wake up to be mediocre. Love it. Love it. Love it. And then what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Workout. So, I, I mean, I got to get it in five days a week. It's just, if not, I feel like I'm missing something. It gives me the energy, helps keep my mind clear and focused. And, you know, it's what I've been doing since probably sixth grade is, is exercise yeah. and uh, CrossFit. It's, and another, it's, such a, okay. it's such a big part of mental health. So yes. I've, I've since, you know, my dad started taking us before school when I was in sixth grade, you know, and every morning for, you know, 30 years, we've just, that's, that has been what you do. And, and when you, when you go, you know, when you miss a handful of days, you find yourself in a, in a kind of a jacked up headspace and then you kind of connect sure. lots of like, Oh, I haven't been to the gym in three days. That's wrong with me. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, it's crucial. I mean, being a personal trainer and, and yeah, a gym rat for as long as I was, it, it, it just, it is. And I mean, we had to do it during football for LSU and prior to that in high school, my dad making me in the garage in sixth grade. So it's just a habit. It's a really good habit. That'll, you know, I think it's the fountain of youth. So uh, martial arts, I would say is, is pretty close to up there. And I mean, that's a great workout too, but recently got my black belt in judo and that's something I've been doing since high school. Uh, so really love uh, martial arts as well. I, so I heard an interesting thing of from very unlikely source the other day, I was listening to Mark Zuckerberg was on the Joe Rogan podcast and I was listening mm -hmm. to it like at double speed on the plane and what he said was he started doing martial arts. He was, I think it was jujitsu or something because, you know, he likes to exercise to reset, you know, for all the same reasons we like to exercise. He said, I used to run. He said, but what I found was when you run, you have a lot of time to think. 
And the whole idea is to stop thinking. He said, so I started doing mixed martial arts because it requires your full attention and like it doesn't allow you to think or dwell on whatever crap. And it's like it's truly like, you know, clearing your mind. Makes sense. Yeah. I actually, I think I knew your brother before you in jujitsu. Him and I were, we used to roll around in the back a lot. And so he was, he was a hoss. So we had, we had some good battles, him and I. But it's true. I, I like that. I never thought about that. So for anybody in the local community, how can they uh, get in touch with you, use you as a realtor, find you online? Yeah, check out our website first. You can learn a lot more about us and the company. It's uh, pennantrealestate.com. That's P-E-N-N-A-N-T, realestate.com. Uh, my cell phone, too, so I'm always available, 225-324-2600. And uh, Leo DeSalle with Pennant Real Estate. So it's great talking with you. Awesome. Thanks, Leo. Really appreciate everything you're doing. And I'm sure I'll talk to you nine more times today. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you. All right, buddy. This episode was brought to you by Crestworth Capital. If you're a busy professional and ready to make passive income from real estate investing, then go to CrestworthCapital.com where you'll be able to download a free copy of our ebook to help you get started today. Until next week, happy investing. <laughs>